So welcome to Sister to Sister. I'm Trish Carr from Women's Prosperity Network, and this is our weekly podcast that we do on Facebook Live and stream all over the world. And it's simply a conversation about what racism looks like in everyday life. And I'm really thrilled that you took the time to listen and watch today because you are going to hear from an amazing woman. Regina Ross, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate you. And Regina is the co-pastor of the Christian Faith Fellowship Ministries. And she also has a women's ministry named the Daughters of Destiny. I love the name <laughs> of that because aren't we all Daughters of Destiny? That's right. That's right. She's also, um, you know, in addition to her passion for helping people uh, express their God-given potential uh, in a way that creates purpose, value, and fulfillment, she's got a corporate career, 25 plus years in corporate America. And in that capacity, not only uh, did she have roles ranging from engineering manager to human resource director, she's got experience in transportation and operations leadership. And she was the champion and continues to champion several diversity and inclusion initiatives for multiple large scale organizations um, where it was all about inclusion. So she leverages that versatile background that she has along with professional training and certifications in executive coaching, change management, human resources. I mean, I, your background, Regina, is, is vast. And really you're someone who can share. I know that your uh, walk on purpose business mission, which I love, you know, your business name is all about who you are, walk on purpose. You know, you provide coaching and cult, uh, consulting so people can maximize their impact. And I really appreciate you. And all my friends in the Northeast, Regina's up in the Northeast in Connecticut where she lives with her husband. And she has two grown children, even though she looks like she's still in her 20s. So bless you. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for opening your heart to us and sharing your experiences. Appreciate you. Thank you, Trish, for creating this platform for us to share our stories about our experiences with racism. And um, Trish, preparing for this talk was more difficult than I ever expected, okay? So I had to feel some feelings. I had to unearth some emotions that have been suppressed for a long, long time. So let me just pick this picture for you. Imagine Trish having a deep wound that is being re-injured over and over and over again. So in order to be able to function without screaming in pain, every time someone hit that deep wound, imagine wrapping it really, really, really tight with thick layers of gauze so that it is virtually impenetrable. But the wrap is so tight that that wounded area has grown numb to the touch and can barely feel anything. So that was me Trish, as a black woman trying to cope with repeated displays of racism. Never let them see you sweat. Keep your feelings in check. Don't give anyone a reason to categorize you as the angry black woman, right? right? right. So every now and then I would allow myself to feel, but not really feel my own pain, but others' pain. So I cried when I saw the 2016 video of Philando Castile dying in front of his partner and four-year-old daughter 
after being fatally shot during a traffic stop by a Minneapolis police officer. I cried again after finally watching George Floyd's murder at the hands of yet another Minneapolis police officer. Um, and this week, Trish, this past week was the first time I actually cried as I remembered, you know, maybe the less um, blatant acts of racism, but yet racism directed towards me and my children. And so I actually cried and allowed myself to, to tap into those feelings as you've asked me to do. And so my hope in sharing some of my encounters with racism is to um, just help you to recognize it in its subtle, yet still damaging forms, right? And take some action to, to dismantle it. Um, and so I've, and, and I thank you for, for saying Trish at the beginning, there are still some people who don't believe that racism exists. I sent this um, invitation to several of my friends, black, white, you know, um, uh, other friends just to come and watch. And I've even had some of my white friends uh, and, I, and I shared the pain, the struggle that it, it took me to prepare for this. And I had some well-meaning uh, white friends like, oh, that's just, you know, an uh, enemy of the Satan to bring up stuff from the past. You've got to heal and move on. I'm like, this stuff is still happening. It is still happening right now. It's not something that's relegated to the past. So um, I will, um, I've asked myself this question several times as I have encountered these things. Would I be receiving this type of treatment if I wasn't black, right? Because I wanna assume positive intent. I don't wanna walk around with my feelings on my, my, my sleeve, like, okay, well, maybe it's not because I'm black, right? Um, and so I will ask those who are listening to ask themselves a similar question. So are you treating that person or regarding that person a certain way because they are black? Are you thinking that they're less than or not entitled because of the stereotypical views of black people that have shaped our culture, that they're less capable, less deserving, less trustworthy, less intelligent? And so let me tell you my story. Um, Trish, I've operated in racially segregated communities most of my life, either mostly white or mostly black communities. And let me tell you more. So I grew up in the segregated South, who I lived in a predominantly black neighborhood uh, it was a mixed neighborhood, but then there was the, what they called the white flight as black families move in, the, the white families moved away. I went to a predominantly black uh, K through 12 schools and I attended an all black church. And I won't, we don't have time to go through all that I experienced, but based on my numerous negative um, encounters with you know racism during those formative years, I developed the view that being black and a woman was a double curse. This is my story, double curse. I was told that I have to work as twice as hard um, because I'm a black woman, that my success might help open the door for another black woman, but that my failure would surely close the door for multiple multitudes of black women that would come after me. So imagine that pressure, right? Of like, okay, you know, you may be the first in, in, um, that opens this door, but if you mess it up, you're gonna mess it up for the black women that come after you. Yeah. That's so, a heavy burden to bear, my sister. I know, right? Right. And so let me go back to my college uh, and early career days. So I went to, and I thank God for having um, just caring, compassionate, loving white mentors, white teachers. And I, um, one that I, that I remember, Miss um, Gaffey, Miss um, um, Bowling now, she's married, but she encouraged me when I was in high school, hey, you're going to fill out this application to go to this two week minority to introduction program at Auburn University. 
She made me fill it out. She is the one who pushed me to say, hey, you're going to do something with your, your intelligence. You're going to make something. You're going to do something. And you're going to go to college. So I went to engineering school at Auburn University. Um, that's in Alabama. And it had less than a 1% Black student population. So Trish, I remember walking across the campus, um, going from one class to another, and seeing fluorescent uh, white Aryan society flyers prominently posted throughout the major thoroughfare. And I remember I would tear down as many flyers as I could. And then when I would get out of class and have to walk back across the, uh, the, the concourse, those flyers were posted again. And there's numerous, I mean, it was just not a, a positive experience, very um, racially divided. Um, and so I don't have fond memories of my time in Auburn, uh, unfortunately. I can imagine, I can see why. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, and I've worked for, you know, I've had a, a long career. I've worked for a lot of different employers in my 25 year corporate career. Um, and this is where I've been one of the first or few black women in my environment. And you've heard, you know, Kamala uh, say what her, um, her mom says, hey, you may be one of the first, but don't be the last, right? So, um, and I think it's important to note that although I haven't encountered blatantly racist behaviors at work, because Trish, there are many workplace policies that prohibit such, I will say that people who view me less than or other because of my blackness, they still carry that viewpoint when they come to work. You don't just check your feelings at the door, your, your mindset, your ideologies. And so their attitudes about me and toward me may show up as microaggressions micro inequities, conscious or unconscious bias, or even culturally insensitive and inappropriate behavior, okay? So let me give you a few examples. I remember my first, my first corporate job as an engineer, um, and this was at a global manufacturing company uh, whose North American headquarters was in South Carolina. I won't say any names of any of the companies. Um, I had the opportunity to be part of a young professional fast track development program. And I also had the opportunity to serve as a founding member of the Minority Recruitment Task Force because, again, you know, they just didn't have a lot of minorities, people of color, um, at working at that um, that corporation. And so I remember Trish asking the North American president and CEO during a young professional roundtable discussion. I asked them why no women were on the corporate board of directors. Do you know what he told me? He re replied publicly in that group setting with no qualms about it, that women had just failed to rise to the occasion. Okay, well, yeah, same, well. company, same company. I remember um, at being in a minority recruitment task force meeting and I suggested, okay, if we wanna recruit more minorities, people of color, let's recruit at HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities in order to increase our pool of black professional candidates. So in response to my suggestion, the senior HR vice president publicly stated that the quality of talent produced by black colleges was inferior to that of talent produced from majority universities. So note that these were comments made by the senior most leaders of the organization in group settings where I was the only black female in the room and no one countered those sexist or racist statements, right? And so I knew that I would not be successful in that environment and I started searching for employment elsewhere, okay? Yeah. So Trish, I have assumed that because, you know, maybe it's because I'm the only black female in the room, I've been mistaken for the administrative assistant. 
uh, when I'm in leadership meetings, I've been asked to take meeting notes, asked to get coffee. Um, there have been times when I've made suggestions in meetings that went completely unacknowledged as if I was invisible. And then a white colleague would make the same recommendation just moments later and get rave reviews, right? Yeah, yep. been there myself as a white, as a woman. It's a woman, exactly. And so I've learned how to leverage my white colleagues, my white male colleagues to pitch an idea because I knew, you know, in certain surroundings and certain settings, it would not uh, land if it came from me because I'm a black woman, it would be discounted, right? right. So you just got to figure out how to work around it. I have um, had strangers, complete strangers and work colleagues touch my braided hair without my permission to just come up and just start touching my hair. And that is highly inappropriate. I, I, I don't have time to tell you why, uh, but it's highly inappropriate. And speaking of hair, Trish, I have been told directly and indirectly by well-meaning Black mentors and managers that I should not wear ethnic hairstyles. Yes, yes, I hear that. Or wearing hair in a kinky hairstyle. And until very recently, I would never even dare wear my hair like this in a corporate setting. Maybe yeah. after I get in, into the company and I prove myself and I show that I can do, you know, what I do, mm -hmm. then I would, you know, but, but it's just that pressure of, okay, well, you got to be that you won't fit in or you're going to be discounted or not treated seriously because yeah. of wearing your hair in a natural uh, hairstyle. The hair is the thing. Uh, and luckily we're seeing some movement in the freedom of your hair. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's been a long journey, right? Yes. Because I've had this, you know, like, okay, well, I've got to have these. So even Trish during, um, you know, going to leadership meetings or conferences or, you know, things where there is a professional setting where people may not know me, I would never dare wear my hair like this. You know, um, maybe, you know, um, during my normal job, you know, during the Monday through Friday. But if I had to go to a, a leadership meeting, I would put a more Eurocentric hairstyle. Okay. Yeah. So I have been regularly cut off while speaking, while I observe that my non-Black colleagues are given ample airtime during meetings. I have heard non-Black colleagues being addressed by their name or being called ma'am and sir. But then in the very next breath, I'll be called hun or sweetie. Okay, so it's just these little subtle things just to, and it's, and again, it's, you may not pick up on it like, oh, that's just, you know, the way they are. But why is everyone else being called ma'am or sir? And then as soon as you come to me, it's, it's you know, it's calling me um, something that's just not appropriate and not professional. Yeah. I recall Trish leading an icebreaker exercise at a training session that I was facilitating. And there was a white male participant who asked me, because we were doing a, um, a session about who would you go to dinner with and why? And I, and I mentioned my grandmother. And he asked me if I referred to my grandmother as mammy. And this is a Southern term for those of you who don't know, this was a training session. I'm the facilitator. I'm standing in front of the entire audience. Um, asked me if I called, um, if I called her as Mammy, which is a term, a Southern term for black slave women who right. took care of and nursed their master's children. So I, I had, with the wind. Had, had to keep it moving. I have been referred to, and I've heard other black women referred to as gal, and people may not think this is a big deal, but this is a derogatory word used back in the days of slavery to address the house gal, right? So just, you know, culturally insensitive. And so this is why it's offensive, uh, inappropriate to call a black woman gal or any woman gal in corporate America. I have had non-black colleagues repeat a story. So I'm, they're sharing a story. And because of that, they feel that gives them 
license to say the N-word, actually say it. This is in a group setting where they actually use the N-word, which is highly offensive. I don't use it. I don't allow my, my children to use it. Um, I've heard repeatedly, me being in HR and me being in leadership, hey, there's no diverse candidates that can be found. Oh, really? And we're living in Atlanta, Georgia. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> I've heard uh, white male... I've heard white male colleagues claim reversed, um, reversed discrimination in response to intentional efforts to ensure that we have a diverse slate of candidates for critical yeah. roles, right? Yeah. I've heard um, um, insinuations that this person got hired because they were the diversity hire because they were uh, a, black, uh, a black male or a black female. Right, immediately lowering them is in the eyes of everyone. Exactly, okay, oh yeah, they're hired because yeah, we need to meet, meet our quota. So, and I would, I will tell you, I'm going to um, just switch a little bit. I've encountered more overt racism outside of work. And I want to emphasize that people with racial prejudice don't abandon their beliefs when they come to work. So I recall a job transfer in 2008 that relocated my family from Southern California, where my children had a diverse group of friends. And then we moved to rural South Georgia, where that year that we moved there, they still had a segregated high school prom. No joke. My daughter, Ivana, became good friends with someone and was planning a weekend play date. Uh, she was excited to have me meet the, the girl's grandmother um, after a school field trip. And the grandmother's jaw dropped. Her face turned pale when she finally met Ivana that her friend had been talking about. And she realized that Ivana was Black. The grandmother would not shake my hand when I greeted her. And the very next day, Ivana's friend tearfully told her that her grandma said she couldn't play with Ivana anymore because she was black. So that devastated my, my daughter, right? Um, because she was used to you know, having diverse friends. So she began to withdraw and, you know, and then didn't fit in because, you know, okay, well, the, the, she was called an Oreo. Hey, you're black on the outside, but you're white on the inside. Right. What um, the following year, I planned to place our children in a top rated private school um, there is a colleague of mine that I worked with on the senior leadership team. He had his children enrolled there. His wife was an administrator there. I told him my plans and he cautioned me. He says, Gina, don't do it. Your black children will not be welcomed there and they will not be treated well. Okay. So we homeschooled our children. And this was the same town where the builder that we were leasing the house from, he was the builder and the owner of the house. He lived across the street from us. He was an elected official. He asked us, why they as white people couldn't call us as black people the n-word when we called each other the n-word all the time right um and so uh, in 2010 we moved uh to a suburb of north atlanta a few more stories um, my daughter was in high school and we went to um a school play there was a scene and this is north of atlanta so not atlanta but we, we actually landed in forsyth county didn't realize oh, oh. didn't realize that uh, we thought we were in john's creek uh, but the, the, so there was a scene where the Confederate flag was marched across the stage in this high school play. And it wasn't just that scene. It was that the audience stood up and cheered loudly at the presentation of the Confederate flag, which for black people is a symbol of oppression. Okay. So yeah. we, re we returned to Southern California in 2014. My son had a diverse uh, group of friends. Um, they would joke about how they were all different shades. Uh, they would line up and everyone was a different shade. He was the darkest one. He was the only black one in the group. Uh, he did most of the driving because his friends didn't have a driver's license. So I had to give him the talk 
about how he needed to carry himself as a young black man, how to respond if he were ever pulled over by the police, hands on the steering wheel, no sudden movements, respectful tone. And it's a shame, but I did not want my son to be a statistic. We moved to Connecticut earlier this year and my son is 21 uh, years old now. And I will tell you, he refuses to drive in this area because he doesn't feel safe doing so in this racial climate. So that's what we call driving while black. He's just, he doesn't feel safe. And so, um, you know, I, I will tell you, um, I've also been advised not to hang around too many black colleagues. You know, if you, there's only a few of you. So when you go to this conference, you've got to mingle. They're going to be watching you. So you've got to make sure you spread it out. Um, it's interesting. I was taking a walk through my neighborhood a few weeks ago and there's only four, four black families and we make the fourth black family that has moved into the subdivision. When I was walking, I passed by the house of one black neighbor because we know each other, where each other live. There was another black couple stopped during their walk, safe distance, you know, just having a chat. I slowed down to say hi. Um, and the couple joked that I should probably keep on going because our neighbors would get nervous seeing too many of us black folks congregating together. We laughed about it, but we realized there's some truth to this sentiment because I've been told that before, like you can't have too many of you guys hanging out. And so I know um, that when I'm on my walks, there are some neighbors that I will pass by in my, my new neighborhood that will turn their head not to make eye contact with me. There are other neighbors and I experienced this just yesterday. I will wave, you know, I will say hi and no, no response at all. And um, my kids got tired of this, so they won't go on walks with me anymore. And my husband is concerned, like for my safety, he's like, when you go on a walk in the neighborhood, make sure you let one of us know that you're getting ready to go on the walk so we can check on you um, and that you get back safe. And this is called walking while black, right? In your own neighborhood where you don't feel safe. So these examples are but a fraction of my experiences of being marginalized because of my race. Um, a few encounters here or there, it, they can be hard to deal with, but repeated occurrences are downright exhausting. Think of chronic fatigue, right? And you've got to find some way of managing the fatigue. And I just, um, I went to a, a webinar last week that was really enlightening. So there's a 2020 Women in the Workplace study that's conducted by Lean In. Um, and it indicates that while only 7% of all men and 9% of all women feel that they cannot bring their whole selves to work and they feel they can't talk about the effect that current events are having on them or their community, this number shoots up to 22% for black women. This study is saying that black women are having a worse experience in the workplace than other women. And so I will tell you, and I would admonish you, give your black colleagues permission to talk about their experiences. And that's why I thank you so much, Trish, for giving me the space to share uh, what's happened to me. Many of us are tired and hurting, but we've got to show up at work. We've got to keep a smile on our face. We've got to keep delivering. And so this Women in the Workplace study also cites that fewer than one in three Black women report that their manager has checked on them in light of the racial violence against Blacks that are happening in this community. Um, a few days after the George Floyd murder, I was numb. Yeah. I was going through the motions at work and I had, you know, my meetings. So I had a one-on-one -on -one video call with a German friend and colleague. Um, and so it was on video. I couldn't turn the video off. And she asked me how I was doing. And my response is, oh, excellent. That's what I was taught to say. You know, oh, I'm excellent. So I tried to shrug it off, but she wouldn't let me. 
um, she, her eyes begin to fill with tears. This is a blonde, um, blue-eyed friend of mine. We used to be work colleagues. Now we are good friends. But began to fill with tears. And she simply said, Regina, I am so sorry. Oh, wow. And she just heard display of empathy and genuine concern. And so, and no one that I worked closely with, you know, said anything to me. This was someone who's all the way in Germany, um, just in seeing things that are playing out in the United States, like Regina, I am so sorry. And um, her vulnerability, her empathy, her genuine concern, it gave me the permission that I needed to be vulnerable and to allow myself to grieve. And I began to cry. And so I will say, you don't need to know exactly what to say to your black colleagues. You don't need to pretend to understand what they're going through. Just be there, just acknowledge their pain. Say sawubona, a, a common Greek African um, Zulu tribe term that literally means I see you. You are important to me and I value you. And Trish, that is what you have done for me today for Tracy, for you know, so many of the other women that you've had on your show, you're letting us know that you see us, that you value us and that we're important to you. And I appreciate you for that. I love you for that. Oh That's my Regina, I'm actually really choked up and, and um, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for sharing all of that. I feel you so deeply and I, I am so sorry. There's, there's nothing that I can say that can change what's happened for you, but I want you to know that I care, I love you, I appreciate you, and it is my hope and my goal to use this platform to open people's eyes to the reality of what you and people of color experience. And, and I do know that this has been really scratching a wound and opening up a wound for you. And I, I my heartfelt thanks, my heartfelt thanks. I have to tell you that, like you were saying earlier, you know, some people I've invited to the show have said, listen, I don't want to talk about it. If I talk about it, I attract more of it. You know, many of us, we all have the law of attraction belief. And there are so many who have said to me, it's not my job to educate you. It's not up to me. It's up to white people to have these conversations with each other. So you being willing to come on the show, you being willing to share and so vulnerable Again, I, I appreciate you so much. And you know what I really want to, you know, you've mentioned things that I've heard from other people, the whole gal thing. I had no idea, no idea that gal was a term that we shouldn't be using, that it meant a, a slave in the house, no idea. And also what you talked about in terms of the um, culturally inappropriate touching your hair you know, even talking about your hair, your, the hair is like a big thing. It I is. Hair not kinky and, you know, I, I like all of that. So, and the terms we use, we use, I mean, I was watching um, something, I've been watching so many things and even using the term slave driver, you know, your boss, oh, your boss is such a slave driver. That's terminology we should not have in today's right. world. Right? So, right. 
really appreciate you so much. And you're right. You know, it comes down to each and every one of us. You don't turn off your prejudice, your, your decisions that you make about people when you go to work. That's right. You know, even if you're one of the good ones, right? Because that's what happens. It's one of the, you're one of the good ones. So you overlook the fact that you couldn't even tell she was black. She speaks so eloquently. Right? Yep. One. That's another one that you hear all the time. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you. And you've given us a lot to think about today. Um, you know, you're in a ministry and, you know, you're spreading the word of God and having all these experiences on a regular basis has got to chip away at that faith and yet you can hold on to it so strongly how do you do that yeah because i know that god desires us to be one man um and and have unity and i know that the church is made up of fallen um, people you know sinful people but it's the it's the example that god has given you know the love that he has for us and and we've experienced that brotherly you know beautiful love you know with um, regardless of skin color, regardless of race, you know, there's no male or female, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no, you know, um, that we're, we're all one in Christ. And so um, that's just my mission of seeing the, the vision that God has painted for us in heaven. There's not going to be segregation. There's not going to be, you know, um, these kind of divisions and we have to get it right here. And my challenge is particularly to the church. I've seen more racial division in the church, especially with this election than I've seen in a long time, things that maybe we've covered over and we're like, okay, now we have, you know, in, um, integrated um, congregations and we do a lot of different types of music. It is, it is dividing. It's, it's rearing its ugly head because there's that underbelly of racism that yeah. we haven't addressed. And so it's just my hope and my prayer that we continue to show the love of God, um, regardless of our skin color and we we address the ugliness of racism uh for what it is it exists in our church it exists in our communities it exists in our schools um and this is not something that god desires for us to 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 have he wants us to be one man yeah absolutely and you know i want to i want to just reference back i'd like to invite those of you who are with us to consider you know picking up a book and everything's in audio now. So if you don't like reading, but this book, which I mentioned a few weeks ago that Regina has already ordered, it's called The Third Option. And it's written by a pastor. His name is Miles McPherson. And Miles McPherson was an NFL player. So he was in football for a, a while. And, you know, one of the things he writes, he has a little prayer in the book that says, Dear Lord, open my eyes to see the beauty of your creative expression in other cultures. Mm -hmm. The beauty of your creative expression in other cultures. Reveal to me what you want me to learn from them. I humble myself before you and your way of doing things. Show me how to engage in conversation that will honor the experience of others. Beautiful. I have to say, you know, I've been doing this show since Black Lives Matter, June. We started in June. I wanted to do something and I didn't know what. So I just said, let me reach out to my 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 women friends who are black women friends and ask them to share their experience. And it's been it was challenging for me. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I didn't 
know what to ask. I'll tell you, Simone Rivers said to me, well, it was kind of flat because you didn't really ask me. And, and I was like, you know what? I don't know what to say. Like, really? I don't know what's, I'm, I'm walking on my own little white eggshells too, right? So that, you know, this prayer is really helpful for me. Just help me open up to what I'm supposed to experience and help me know the right thing to say. That's right. Because we don't. We've been socialized as white, mm -hmm. right? We grew up white. We grew up, every morning I wake up and I'm still white. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, I really, again, appreciate you so much. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with before we go? You, you mentioned something, Trish, that reminds me of um, a quote from Brene Brown. I follow a lot of her work in Rising Strong, Dare to Lead. But she says, you know, the system is not broken. The system is working exactly as we, white people, intended it to. And she says, this is white people's work. This, we're the ones that have to work together to dismantle racism. Um, and so this is the work that you're doing. And it's, this is allyship. This is using your platform, using your privilege, using, you know, your reach, right? Uh, because if, there, if this was a, a photo meme of a Black woman interviewing another Black woman, people would just automatically dismiss it and not even look at it. But, but because you are the Trish Carr with Women's Prosperity Network and the reach that you have, you are doing the work, right, to use your platform. And so I would just encourage people to, to do the work. You started and you didn't know what to say. You didn't know exactly what to do but you knew something had to be done. So I would implore those of you, just do what you can do, reach who you can reach, have a conversation. Trisha's book is just a conversation. Um, we've got to start the work and the work needs to start now. So I love you. Thank you, Trish, for you. who you are and all that you do to make Thank a difference in this world. Thank you so much. Regina L. Ross, pastor, corporate leader, wife, mother, incredible woman. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you all for staying and listening and being the change you want to see in the world. Thank you all. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.